Welcome to the Bottom Line Huff Podcast. I am your host, Richard Huffman, expert in all things Bottom Line Huff. We talk about left-wing urban German terrorism of the 1970s, student radicalism, and other related ephemera. It's the only podcast devoted to, yet unaffiliated with, the Bottom Line Huff group and the Red Army faction. Um, today we're going to talk about Ulrika Meinhof's brain, the strange saga. Um, Ulrika Meinhof, she committed suicide in Stuttgart's um, Stammheim prison on Mother's Day of 1976. And a few days later, there was a large funeral held for her in a small Berlin cemetery, which isn't too far from Tempelhof Airfield. But while she was buried there, it took a full 25 years before her brain would join the rest of her remains in a um, quiet little ceremony in 2002. So this is the story of the saga of Ulrika Meinhof's brain. So we'll go back in time a bit. 1962, Ulrika Meinhof, she was an up-and-coming 26-year-old journalist. She was married to the publisher of Concrete magazine where she was the editor her husband was the publisher and and it's this uh, left-wing popular national magazine that originally started out as a magazine for college students Um, she was also pregnant with twins and she started suffering from these horrible blinding headaches so the doctors examined her and they diagnosed her with a brain tumor on the right side of her head and and they said she needed to have immediate surgery But of course, she was tremendously worried. What's the general anesthesia going to do to her unborn twins? And she refused to get surgery until she had her kids. So she suffered for, I think, a couple of months with incredible headaches. Also, the thought or knowledge that she might be risking her own life um, all to protect the lives of her unborn daughters. So when her daughters were fully grown or fully um, reached reached a level that they could be born, basically. Um, she gave birth to her daughters and immediately um, had surgery on this tumor or what they thought was a tumor. It turned out it was just like an engorged blood vessel. So they put a silver clip on it and closed her back up and, um, and let her on her way and she recovered fully. So fast forward to 1972. And Meinhof's been on the run for two years. She's been Germany's most wanted woman since May of 1970 when she helped convicted arsonist Andreas Botter break out of police custody. Um, the group that bears her name, the Botter Meinhof gang or group, had killed many people, had bombed army bases and police stations. And, and um, some of the other leaders had already been captured at this point, and Meinhof is given up by the person who, whose home she was staying at in Hanover. But they weren't sure when they captured her if it was her, and she was screaming and, and crying and upset, and they just they couldn't even tell if it was her or not. They thought it was. But, and there was no fingerprints on file for her at all, so they couldn't, they couldn't be certain who it was. And in the hideout where she was staying, one of the police officers noticed a, a magazine, Stern magazine, which is kind of like Newsweek of Germany. And Stern had a photo of her brain, of the x-ray of her brain from 1962. And he thought, you know what? we could probably ha- x-ray her head now. And if she has a silver clip in it, we'll know it's her. And they 
did that. They forcibly anesthetized her, x-rayed her head, and sure enough, it was Ulrika Meinhof, which is kind of a stunning thing that they would forcibly anesthetize a subject. And, and I know they got a lot of flack at the time, but anyway, it was in fact her. So let's jump forward to 1976. There's a very depressed Ulrika Meinhof. She's sitting in her jail cell in Stuttgart Stamheim prison. Um, I think a few weeks earlier, she had withdrawn from this ongoing giant trial that herself and her co-defendants were, were, uh, waging in, um, uh, in a special, um, uh, courthouse that was built right on the grounds of the, the prison. Um, her co-defendants, the other members of the group were being, were just belittling her constantly, just a profoundly depressed person. And she commits suicide. So professor Jurgen Pfeiffer, uh, conducted the autopsy. And the first thing he noticed that there, there was like unusual deformations on her brain, on the right side of her brain, where she'd had that operation. And without telling anybody, he actually removed her brain and kept it for further study and released the body for burial. Nobody knew this. Um, and 20 years later, he actually gave the brain to a psychiatrist named Bernard Bogertz, who was going to study it for himself. And he kept it for another five years. So what did these two doctors conclude? So basically, they felt that the brain operation um, had damaged the parts of her brain that dealt with the emotional response. Um, Pfeiffer, he actually corresponded with, uh, Meinhof's foster mother who confirmed that, you know, after she had that brain operation, she went through a very profound personality change, um, you know, and, and, uh, and became more cold, more distant. Um, and in a way it was, you know, it was comforting, you know, the, 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 this choice of a prominent journalist and, and mother, um, to become a violent terrorist. It wasn't, wasn't the basis of rational decisions. It was a brain abnormality, you know, so much more comforting to a lot of people. And her ex-husband, Klaus Reiner Roll, Rail, um, he wrote like a kind of a semi-autobiography in the mid 70s. I'm sorry, was it in the seventies or yeah, in the mid seventies. And he pointed out that, you know, she had become after this operation, much cooler, more distant, sexually unfeeling towards him. Um, you know, to a certain extent, I th a lot of women were going through a lot of changes in the 60s. This was a liberating time. And it's funny how all of these things that could have had many other explanations are chalked up to this brain abnormality. Um, you know, Klaus Rainier Roll was having affairs left and right. Um, recently, his daughters have accused him of sexually abusing them when they were kids. You know, it seems like there's many, many possible reasons that could have left her distant and sexually unfeeling towards him that have nothing to do with this brain operation. Um, you know, so much of these explorations, these doctors and other people have gone through, it seems like almost this existential quest to understand how somebody like her could be this violent revolutionary. It's just, it's just so much more comforting to find a biological reason. And, but you know, what's funny is nobody really asks, well, what about Gudrun Enslin? Meinhof wasn't the leader of the Bader Meinhof gang, despite the fact that it had her name on it. It was really Gudrun Enslin was the true female leader of the group. But why, why isn't anybody asking what caused her to go from being this smart, idealistic, uh, Parsons daughter to being the leader of a terrorist group? 
you know, it's probably because we don't really have an easy biological explanation. You know, it's so much harder to accept when you realize that someone's monstrous choice in her life was actually the product of a series of rational choices. Um, you know, I confess myself, I've been totally fascinated by the saga of Meinhof's brain uh, myself. And, and I've sort of been working on, off and on on, on, a, on on a fictionalized novel about Meinhof's life. Um, hopefully this isn't going to sound weird, but what I'm, what I'm writing, um, is basically the story of Meinhof's life and the narrator is basically her brain or her actually more accurately, the id part of her personality. And he, her id is the classic unreliable narrator who feels that she's pushing and protecting Meinhof throughout her life, but is clearly responsible for so much of the damage that it's caused. And the ids, you know, obviously, if you're following Jungian psychology, is going to be working with and against Meinhof's ego and her superego. And this brain operation is going to upset the balance in her life and, and you know, cause a lot of problems. And hopefully it doesn't sound too weird. Um, I've been, you know, I'm like 30 pages into it and, and have, have the basic story mapped out. I've never written any fiction before, so I have no idea if it'll be embarrassing or not. But it, it seemed like an interesting way to tell the story of Meinhof. Um, so what happened to Meinhof's brain? Well, ultimately, um, when Meinhof's daughter, Bettina Rail, um, found out about the study and found out that her mother's brain was being kept in a jar in Magdeburg, um, she sued to have it, you know, returned and, and, and reinterred with her body. And, and that's what happened in a small ceremony in 2002. Meinhof's brain once again joined her body. While they were looking at the disposition of Meinhof's brain, they realized that uh, Andreas Bader's brain, Gudrun Enslin's brain, and Jan Karl Raspa's brain, the three people who died on the infamous death night a year after Meinhof's death, their brains had also been removed, and nobody knows where they are. So maybe they're sitting in, uh, in a basement in some hospital in Tübingen or some other place in Germany. Anyway... I thought you might find that interesting. It's a little bit of history of the saga of Ulrika Meinhof's brain. Thank you for listening. Bottom line.